Hi, everybody, and welcome to Read, Watch, Play. I'm Corinne. I'm Justin. And I'm James. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about Banjo-Kazooie by Rare. Uh, so I guess first thing we should do is we should we should address the... I don't know. I How would you describe a lack of Cleo? Uh, Cleo's boy band game that she's been designing came to life, and she was dragged into an alternate universe where only boy bands exist. So she'll be back eventually, but... Probably not this episode or the next one. Yeah, this is this is a happy one, though. Yeah, so. she's just got to go through some sexy adventures first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, all right, so that out of the way. Uh, Banjo-Kazooie, um, the, the best depiction of a witch we could find in a video game. Yeah. I mean, it was this or Bayonetta, so, you know. Yeah, right. Uh, there was... And I... Oh god, there was one other one that was kind of way out there, but it was like a it was like a Japanese SRPG on like the DS from the early 2010s, something like that. Um which frankly sounded right up my alley for the early 2010s, but uh <laughs> much harder to get our hands on at this point. Um but yeah, so I mean, do you want to start by talking about Grunt Hilda. I mean, it, this is this game is pretty like chock full of memorable characters. If even considering like they don't, I would say memorable considering how little actual characterization they get. Yeah, like there's not like it, there's not much of a story per se, right? Like this is this is your classic '90s mascot platformer, right? Like the big 3D platforming games. Um, I mean, it, so, like, Corinne, you entered. Like, how, how would you describe, like, the story of Banjo-Kazooie, per se? All right. So, uh, a a bear named Banjo, whose friend, life partner, uh, symbiont, is a bird who lives in his backpack named Kazooie. And they live in a nice, happy place. And Banjo's younger sister, Tootie, is stolen by a witch named Gruntilda one day because uh, she's the most beautiful thing in the land, despite the fact that she's approximately nine years old. (laughs) (laughs) So. Yep. uh, And then Banjo and Kazooie, affectionately known as Banjo-Kazooie, leading a strong, uh, strong support to my symbiont theory. Uh, then have to go and rescue her uh, by traveling through different worlds accessible through Gretilda's, uh lair to eventually unlock the path to Gretilda herself. Yeah. I'm yeah, see, so excited thing. to talk about the ending of this game, by the way. Oh, yeah. It was the... bonkers. Yeah, this game goes off the rails, um, <laughs> which is weird considering what the rails were in the late 90s um (laughs) but yeah so i mean like and like worth pointing out for for anyone who may have like missed the mascot platformer boom of that era or is like like used to most of the other games that we've played for this podcast or even just most of the other games that come out now like all of that story is delivered in the first like three minutes of the game and then it basically just kind of devolves into and then via a series of game mechanics, Banjo and Kazooie save the day. Or a series of excuses to have fun landscapes. It, so there's, it, 
I, I think this is going to be really interesting because there's there's not like a huge amount of plot to speak of, and yet I feel like each of the characters gets like some genuinely good characterization. Like there was definitely like a period in games where people got really good at giving a lot of character to these very like otherwise kind of cardboard cutouts of things. Like there there's no real depth to these characters, but they're they're charming. And in like weird little ways, down to just like the little sound effects that represent them talking. I was gonna say that's that's one of the things that uh, I I thought was done very well in the game. Um, you know, it it was obviously you're not gonna have full character speech in a game like this that came out when it did. Uh, so each character when they spoke was represented by a, a different like sound effect that just like repeated. And um, it, it was well done. It was really well done to, to represent, like, each character. I mean, it's it's the kind of thing where, like, you go back and you look at, like, the classic examples, right? And, you know, you've got, like, Mario, right? And, like, you, you don't really hear Mario talk much. Like, you get, like, the it's-a-me, Mario, at the beginning of Mario 64. And other than that, it's, like, a series of, like, whops and wahoos. And that's, like, that's that's sort of it, right? But there's a surprising amount of character that comes through in those goofy little sound effects but I feel like Banjo-Kazooie really, really nails a lot of that stuff. And I know that that's always kind of the big conversation is just these were the two big, like, mascot platformers on the N64. Where you, So you've got, you know, it Banjo and Mario. And for some reason, this is like a rivalry. But it, it, there's kind of strong camps of which one you thought was like the better big 3D platformer at the time. But... I, I think one thing that you can definitely say, though, is that Banjo-Kazooie, like, right out of the gate, through exactly stuff like that, um, you get a lot of characterization from that that you don't necessarily get in, in a Mario game. Um, yeah. Uh, I am inclined to agree, although, uh, as might not be a surprise, I didn't play a lot of, uh, like, Super Mario 64, which is... Uh, in as far as I recall, kind of a comparable game to this one. Yeah, I, I think that's always kind of the big thing. It's just which of those was considered sort of like the more the more influential or the better sort of big three D platformer because those those were like the big two. Um, which one came out first? I want to say Mario sixty four. Yes, Mario sixty four I think was pretty close to launch for the sixty four. I can look this up. Okay, so Super Mario 64, June 23rd, 1996. Pretty sure Banjo Kazooie was 98, 99. I think you're right. I, you know, I looked this up the other day to write our citation, but let me check one more time. Uh, 98. Yeah, so Super Mario 64 was first. Um, but kind of interestingly, though, uh, Banjo Kazooie, a lot of it feels much more realized. You have like a lot more characters. Uh, you have many more just sort of verbs that that you can do. Like Mario, Mario is really elegant in the amount of things that it does with jump, slide. I mean, I, he can like sort of punch in Mario sixty four, but I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't good enough at the game, but I don't think that really like did anything. Um, so it Mario sixty four did a lot with like a relatively limited amount of verbs, and arguably there's uh, there's a beauty in that. But Banjo-Kazooie really is where you start seeing kind of this birth of the collectathon platformer, 
know, Super Mario 64, you've got, like, you, you want to get coins and you want to get the star in, in each run of the world that you do. Whereas Banjo-Kazooie, you sort of have more freedom to run around, explore. There's a million things to collect. You've got, I mean, what? So you've got, I mean, can we even, like, track everything? You've got musical notes. You've got Jinjos. You've got the Jiggies that are, like, the core of the game. God, this is a 90s-ass game. Um, you've got... Feathers, eggs. Feathers and eggs, yeah. Just, like, Golden general feathers. resources that you're using. Yeah. Mumbo, it, skulls. Yeah. It It's kind of bonkers, right? Like, in Mario, like arguably, you've got three collectibles, right? You've got coins, you've got red coins, and you've got stars. And red coins barely count because they are a different kind of coin that leads to a star. So... You know, call that one what you will. I, I even have written down in my notes, uh, like, wow, there are a lot of things to collect. And this is even the first one. We're not even into Banjo-Tooie yet, which was the honest-to-God name of the sequel, if anyone was too young to remember that. Because like, he was mad about it. Yeah. But, yeah, game got super self-aware. There was all sorts of crazy shit that they were going to do if you could, like, bring your save file from the previous game forward. There were some really big ideas in that game. Um but yeah, that added even more shit to collect. It's crazy. Like, and this is where you really see the advent of that, and then you get into stuff like Donkey Kong 64, which is arguably considered to be, like, the place where the collect-a-thon platformer kind of jumped the shark. Um, uh, literally, you jumped over sharks in that game, too, now that I think about it. Yep. But, um, yeah, so this is... I don't know, like, I... I always have a really hard time with this conversation because I'll be the first to say, and like I feel like I should say for context for this, I'm not big into big 3D mascot platformers. I really like Mario games, but I feel like I end up liking the Mario 3D platformers kind of in spite of their 3D platformeriness. Um, and maybe it's because the big things that I think about are these collectathons where there's just, like you said, Corinne, there's a lot to collect, and that ends up just like feeling overwhelming for me and not super fun i don't always feel compelled to do it i feel like i'm just kind of like missing stuff and then i get bored and blah blah blah. but it, it's like the initial trend towards my feelings towards open world games uh <laughs> right and so i tend to prefer like the much tighter things it's why i really like uh super mario 3d land and 3d world and the more recent ones where it's a 3d platformer but you've got these really tight stages um so i'll be the first to say that i i don't have a lot to say when it comes to like the game's mechanics because at the end of the day it's the kind of thing where it's like yeah there's a lot of fucking mechanics in this game but they're very rarely for me yeah i um uh i i watched a playthrough of the game i didn't play it myself uh part partially because it came down to time but as i watched more of it i was like i was like wow i'm, I'm really glad i'm watching this and not playing it myself because i would have stopped because I would have hated it. Because I don't, I don't like that kind of game either. It's, it's not for me. I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of most platformers to begin with, um, and this one where it's just like collect, 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 and you know, the same like, the same like series of sounds, the same kind of music, just repetitively over and over again. I mean, obviously with a little bit of variance, but. I don't know. It, it was not an experience that I, I think I would have enjoyed having to play through the game. And I recognized that pretty early on in 
in watching it. You know, it's interesting comparing uh, Mario 64 and Banjo-Kazooie, because the way I look at it, Mario 64 is kind of like the first great 3D platformer. Like, I am, I couldn't tell you one that came before, but I am almost certain there was an attempt. But Banjo-Kazooie feels a lot like the refinement of it. Like, there's a little bit too much on the side of collecting, but I think that um, a lot of the, like, general ideas of Banjo-Kazooie, that you're, that you're jumping into these worlds, but then you live in these worlds and you do everything in them all at once... And, and there's sort of a flow to how you're going to collect everything and how everything is sort of laid out, quote-unquote, narratively, in each uh, world. Versus Mario, where it's like, you go in, you have one goal, you get a star, and you pop back out. And then you jump back in and you collect another star. And it's like, this this feels like a... Banjo-Kazooie sort of feels like a natural evolution of that idea um, that does it a little better in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think that 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 whole idea that that you were bringing up there, Justin, of like you're doing it all at once, that that really does strike me as the big thing that Banjo Kazooie brings to the table. To to my mind, is that it really does feel like one of those very early steps towards open world games. You know that that notion of this. It, it's obviously not an open world, but you can go into the level, and the whole level is there, and you can kind of pick what you want to do, and you can change your mind halfway through and say like. Uh, you know what, like, I, I'm going to go do this now. Or, oh, like, I, I can see that Jinjo over there. Like, oh, like, I, there's this, like, trail of musical notes that are, like, veering off to the right, and I was going to go to the left. But I know that if I follow the notes, like, they bring me to cool things because the levels are all well-designed. Um, you know, things like that. And you can just, like, go off and find your own fun and discover secrets and things like that. I, it really, it really is one of those cool experiences of having that in a 3D space. So I think we should talk about whether we would recommend the game and then cut to spoilers because I don't think, I don't know if there's a ton more that we will be able to say about it and about the topic of witches especially uh, until we hit that spoiler break. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I know you really want to talk about that. Oh God, I want to talk about the ending so bad. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So I, yeah, would you recommend it? I mean, it's, it's a hard question for me. If you like Super Mario 64... That you're, you're probably gonna like this game. Um, so, it, like, if if this kind of game is your thing, it's a good example of one. So, that's about as well as I could recommend it. Yeah, I think, like, for me, it comes down to obviously there's that qualifier, right? Like, if you don't generally like platformers or 3D platformers, this is not going to be the game that like fixes that for you. Um. But if you don't have that block, I think Banjo-Kazooie has aged a lot better than most of the games from the era. Like, we were talking about it last night, um, you know, Crash Bandicoot got, uh, like, re-released and, and remastered on, on PlayStation 4, and it didn't really age all that well. I haven't heard that, and I've got to say, I feel really bad for it, because that's another one of those series where I, I just actively dislike the Crash games. I really don't I really don't like playing them. I don't like how they feel. I don't like a lot of the design choices they made. Um, but I absolutely respect that a lot of people really enjoyed them. And I like that a lot of people are having fun with it. But I've heard even from people who are having fun with that remaster that, yeah, it the basic idea does not age super well. And and that's, I think, like a sort of a testament to Banjo-Kazooie's design is that I sat playing through most of the game and then watching a little bit of, of or watching the rest of it. Um, and 
the controls are definitely clunky and there's and but that's like a known product of the time that's sort of easy enough to deal with and it's not like the true tank controls of like resident evil that are just a pain and it's so i think a lot of the worlds and the puzzles are, are still so well designed that you still get a lot of fun out of that you know even almost 20 years later now yeah I, and i think that's that's a lot of why I think I would recommend it as well. And I, I would even go so far as to say, and I know this sounds weird considering I, I was just very upfront about the fact that it's not really a game for me. Uh, I would recommend this to everybody, uh, mainly because I think that it's an important game, uh, historically speaking. So I think that if you're interested in games and the history of games, uh, it's, it's a really important touchstone to have. Uh, both in that sort of comparison to Super Mario 64 and the fact that I think that that's an interesting conversation that actually, uh, I think that's a really good sort of microcosm of a much larger discussion about sort of values in games. So I think that makes that very, a good, a good reference to have, but also just because I think historically speaking it, like we were saying earlier, I think this is very clearly a step on the road towards open world games and I think the other big thing is that even if you don't necessarily dig the mechanics, exactly like what you were saying, Justin, just the worlds are well-designed, the worlds are interesting, It handful of exceptions, but by and large, uh, it's, it's a really well-designed game, it's a well-made game, there's a lot going on, it's very charming. I even still like had a lot of fun just sort of like screwing around in the first couple worlds, which is most of what I did as a kid, to be honest. Um... So it, I, I think that there's a lot to recommend it, even if it's not necessarily for you. Um, I will, we'll talk about the ending. It's, it's worth seeing, but if you find that you're just not enjoying the mechanics enough to get there, like that's fine. Watch it on YouTube. But I think like it's the kind of game where I would recommend to everyone uh, to at least give it a shot and screw around in it. Cause I think it's important in that sense. Yeah. One, one note from the sort of the game history aspect of it, right? This is, argue i mean i don't know if you would say this is rare at their peak maybe this is rare like right as they're reaching their peak it's certainly in yeah i i'd agree with that i i don't know where i would call rare's peak and i i think that that's the big question there yeah, but it's, it's it, this is certainly yeah this is this is in their golden age you know yeah and so that's i think experiencing that time period uh for rare is incredibly valuable for people who are interested in game like history and culture as it's formed over the years yeah that studio's got kind of a kind of a weird story i i would go so far as to say kind of a sad story but uh it's it's absolutely worth pointing out that yeah if you're interested in history this is a super influential group of people and this is them like right at their prime and I think Banjo Kazooie is one of those games that it's sort of like it's sort of like Bioshock or Monkey Island where you go and then you look at like other games that were really significant after it and you trace the lineage of a lot of the people who are influential on those games and you find where it's just like, oh wow, like everyone who worked on Bioshock went on to do something really cool after that. And like everyone who worked on Monkey Island went on to work on like other really cool genre defining projects. And I, I think that this golden era rare, I think you get a lot of people like that. Yeah, it was really interesting watching the credits um, the first time when they like when they're doing the like voiced credits um, and 
I'm watching these names and, you know, as somebody who was like seven years old when this game came out and didn't even get to experience the ending, but have spent a lot of time sort of studying games uh, since, you know, starting college, uh, it, it was so fascinating to be able to recognize so many of these names and to know that they like to, to know that, right. It, it was really cool. Yeah. Not to get too off track, but isn't Rare uh, releasing something in 2018? I feel like I've, I feel like I saw uh, Rare pop up. Sea of Thieves, I'm pretty sure, is Rare. Yep, that, yep, that's what it is. I am very excited for that game. I'm optimistic, but uh, Rare has definitely had its name, I guess, dragged through the mud probably in the last, like, eight, eight to ten years. Well... 15 years. Crossed. Yeah, it. I think it will be very interesting. It It certainly seems like it has the potential to be a return to form. Yeah, and I'm kind of hopeful that it is. Yeah. It's, it's really, well, this is a really bad way to phrase it. It's really rare to be so invested in a developer's name uh, so as to really, really want to see them to succeed. Like, see them succeed. Yeah, it is. It is an interesting thing, right? Because I, it, it's something that you get with games that you get less with so many other places. Where it, it's weird to be like a fan of a company, right? Because like the people who worked at that company who made those decisions, they can go in and out, and you might never know, right? Like you have no idea who necessarily did like that one piece of art that like you thought was really great, or something. And you can go and like dig into the credits, but a lot of times these are people who aren't going to get like big press conferences when they leave or something like that. And it can be hard to follow the people whose work you actually like. Yeah. So it is kind of weird to find yourself invested in the name of a subsidiary of Microsoft now. Right. Like it, like, what is that? Like, what does that really even mean? And yeah, so I, I absolutely get what you're saying where it's weird to find yourself feeling that, but this is one of those companies that inspires that kind of, that kind of response. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there are developers now who I love, right? Like, I, I've loved almost every game that Bioware has basically ever made. Um, Naughty Dog. Huge... Naughty Dog's very strong. Yes. Uh, yep. uh, Naughty Dog, yeah, I mean, between Last of Us and, and Uncharted, just in this sort of, like, latest generation. Um, and CD Projekt Red will always kind of have a special place in my heart. I mean, I, I played the original Witcher not soon after, it came, or not long after it came out, um, and kind of fell in love with that. So, but at the same time, like those developers could sort of fall from grace or, or have some flubs or whatever. And I wouldn't be like mad or sad about it or whatever, but like rares fall is like legitimately sad to me. I mean, it, do you, do you necessarily consider it a fall or sort of like a misutilization, right? Cause I, I usually think of it as they're, they're acquired by Microsoft and then Microsoft just kind of doesn't necessarily make the most of them because it's not like they've had like a bunch of games that were that were garbage like there was like banjo kazooie nuts and bolts that was i remember being pretty fine and other than that didn't they just sort of get moved on to the like the microsoft avatars team and like they they made some like neat animations for that but i i usually think of it less of like a fall from grace or being dragged through the mud more of just like sort of a missed opportunity yeah, I guess I guess I was thinking more of it as like the opinion of them now is that like generally people look at like what Rare used to make and then now what Rare makes and they're like oh like 
rare, you know, rare isn't anywhere close to what they used to be. They're a shell of their former selves. Like those are the kinds of expressions you see thrown around nowadays. And it's really, it does kind of come down to people not addressing it appropriately. It's kind of true that Microsoft hasn't administered them incredibly well. And that's kind of why they are where they are. Yeah. But yeah, so it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see where they go. I, I think doubly so just because, you know, you, you mentioned like places like Bioware and Naughty Dog and stuff like that, but at like at Naughty Dog, right? Like it, they do, they tend to sort of front load people like Amy Hennig and, uh, uh, Neil Druckmann and Bruce Straley, I think uh, is his name. Uh, so you've, you've got like these people to attach to it. And so like when I think it was Bruce Straley just left Naughty Dog. So like when he leaves, like, you know, that it's, it's really interesting to go back and look at. Um, and like Bioware, you've got like Casey Hudson, et cetera. Um, but it's interesting to go back to a time when we didn't like have those people attached to things. It's, it's, I don't know. It'll be, it'll be very interesting to see where they go. Uh, with that though, we should get back to the game. Um, <laughs> uh, so let's put our spoiler break here. Uh, as always, we'll take a second to talk about our upcoming topics. Our next episode is going to be our broader witch topic episode. Uh, which will be very interesting because we're going to have to try and talk about the witch. I'm sorry, the witch and Grunthild at the same time. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but then after that, we're going to be doing Fairy Tales 2.0. We're going to be reading The Bloody Chamber by Angela Carter. We're going to be watching Shrek 1 and Shrek 2. And we're going to be playing Telltale's The Wolf Among Us Season 1. So I, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I think we're going to get some neat sort of modern takes on fairy tales so i think that'll be i think that'll be good um with that though we are going to pause for now we're going to move into spoilers for banjo kazooie and figure out what that means uh but right off the bat i mean do we want to jump right into it just zero to a hundred do we want to talk about the ending i absolutely want to talk about about anything else all right let's do it i couldn't believe it when it turned out they were dead the whole time (laughs) (laughs) um all right so Again, I was watching the whole time. I wasn't playing. And, uh, you know, it, it was the thing where it was like, okay, you've unlocked the, the final, like, the final picture, and, like, now it's time to go to face Grunhilda. And then it, like, brought you to, like, a game show floor. And I was just like, what is happening? <laughs> uh, turns out the ending of Banjo-Kazooie is, uh, is part one of the ending is a quiz about the entire game you just played. Yep. And the secrets about Gruntilda that you learn over the course of the game from the fairy godmother character. Yes. Um, her bitch sister, her bitch witch sister, uh, <laughs> who talks shit about her All nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> Just exclusively. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, um, so you had to have learned all those secrets, and you have to remember the voices of everyone, and you have to remember every weird camera, every single piece of the landscape from any conceivable camera angle, and just all sorts of stuff. Like, it was, it was wild. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting, right? Because on one hand, Banjo-Kazooie is a game where those voices are very memorable, right? And those landscapes are very memorable because they did a good job giving character to these characters. And they did a good job building unique, distinctive, interesting worlds. 
And there's part of me that thinks it's great that at the end they're just like, no, we did a great job with that. You're going to fucking remember all of our worlds and voices because we're fucking good at this. But on the other hand, there's that part of me that's just like, yeah, but that's kind of a full of yourself thing to do, right? But it's it's such a bizarre, off-the-rails like twist to the whole thing that I I can't help but love the idea of it. I remember not being in love with, like, hitting that point because like when I was a kid, right? Like this game was, this game was like really hard for me as a kid. Not that it's necessarily a hard game, but like I had a hard time with it. So I knew those first few areas really well, but otherwise there was like a long time between when I played some of the middle areas and when I played the late areas. Yeah. So I, I I had like a hard time with it. I remember just being like, how am I supposed to remember this? I played this months ago. And it's not like we had the internet. Or you could just yeah. look it up. Yeah. But it was... God, what a weird fucking ballsy thing to do. I, I have never played a game that ends with a test about the game you just played. Uh-huh. And then, like, but but that's not even, like, that's not even, like, the full extent of how off the rails the ending went. Like, that's part one. Oh, yeah. And then you beat the quiz, and Grand Hill is like, okay, you can choose your prize. And I'll, by the way, 2D is uh, is the first place prize for... for winning the other one is it looks like maybe a cauldron shaped washing machine and the other one is a cauldron just a really bad one i think no, it's, your... a, it's a gruntilda doll oh yeah it's a gruntilda doll a very bad one um anyway so like you get to choose your prize then and gruntilda's like you never catch me i'm gonna just distract you with these credits and just breaks the fourth wall and then you go and you rescue tootie and then you go through an entire credit sequence and then you go to like a quote-unquote final cutscene, and you're all like having a party and banjo's like i need a drink like like this isn't a game for children just like he's just like yeah after all that i need alcohol uh and uh they're having a party tootie comes out and is like we never rest what are you doing we never rescued Grinhilda. and then the game just snaps you right back to the to that the the, the game show floor and then you have to go and follow Grinhilda and have a final boss battle what? <laughs> yep. It's, it, it really is like a pretty great moment. Like it's bonkers, but just that whole idea of like, I'm going to distract you with these credits. It, I don't know. It, I, I remember finally getting to that point as a kid and like it driving me crazy. Right. Cause again, cannot stress enough. I was bad at this game. So it had been like driving me up a wall, and that even then, though, it's like I, you can't be serious. Like, what is happening? It, I don't know. It's it's such a weird turn to take. Yeah, I mean, I I think I can say I've never played a game that has ever taken so wild a turn at any point. To be fair, the the final boss battle against Grinhilda. Uh, was was really good at, at at sort of testing your ability, your like how well you picked up all of the various mechanics over the course of the game. Like that was cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I think as off the rails as the game show thing was, the final boss fight was like equally well designed. It's like a weird comparison, but like it was in, for a, for a boss battle from like a you know three D platformer from the late nineties. That was an incredible boss fight yeah that this was not an era known for 
ending for sticking the landing. Yeah. I arguably were like, you know, games still aren't awesome at that now, but like mm -hmm. regardless point being it, this was, this tended to be where games pulled out all the stops and said like, what if you had to do pixel perfect jumping in a situation where the controller can't reliably read your input? And that was considered really, really stellar end <laughs> boss sequence. Putting aside that the ultimate answer to defeating Gratilda was having the the little dudes you picked up along the way Voltron themselves into this like mega beast. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> so much. <laughs> it was a very nice. It was a game. very solid boss battle. Yeah, like I I feel like there's no other way to put it. Like it's conceptually it's bonkers, but it. This is a very well-designed game. Like, it's it's well-made, it's well-thought-through, it's crazy as shit, but it it's mechanically sound. Like, at, no matter what, like, every part of this game, as weird as it gets, is ultimately mechanically sound. Like, I, I have my issues with the swimming segments, but, yeah. I mean, that's because every underwater segment in every game ever is terrible. Yep. I know that's not true, but broadly speaking, especially at this point, cannot stress enough 90s not a good time every game had an underwater segment it was always the worst it i don't know so but it's almost the kind of thing where you're just like yep it's a 3d platformer it's going to have underwater segments and they're going to be the worst part of the game and you just kind of knew that going in but they made you appreciate dry land and oxygen i don't know but i think God, one of the things i hated the most was was probably the shark in Trinicove. Oh. Yes, that shark. Oh my god. Bane of my existence as a child. There's so many points at which you need to swim great distances to do things. And it's just literally impossible not to take a couple of hits from the shark as you do stuff. As it materializes three feet away from you every time you land in the water. <laughs> yeah. That shark genuinely frightened me as a child. <laughs> yeah, that I didn't play that game until a little later, although I just that just reminds me of uh, the the thing that probably terrified me the most to the point where I had an actual nightmare in any game as a child was, no joke, the uh, man-eating piano in Mario 64 in Boo's Castle. Oh, yeah. There's, like, the one room you walk in, and there's nothing in there but a piano, and then when you get close to it, it just starts, like, trying to eat you. And I, no joke, had a nightmare about that piano chasing me down the street when I was yeah. a kid. Yeah. Yeah, it's that weird thing about being at that age where you don't, where you have better... It, you don't yet have better things to be scared of. Yep. But like now I just have nightmares about my student room bit. Yeah, exactly, right? Twister but... fucked me up when I was a child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that, like, tornadoes were a thing until, like, I watched that movie when I was, like, five. Uh, and, like, after I saw it, I was just like, this is, this is it. This is going to be how I die. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, weird realization for a five-year-old to come to. Uh, yeah, just in a in a tornado. Just confronted with my own mortality by Helen Hunt. <laughs> and that dude who was in a lot of things in the 90s. Who was the main character, I guess. I don't remember Twister yeah. that well. Yeah, let's not get too off the rails here. <laughs> he died recently, right? Did he? Wait, I no, it was remember. not Harry Dean Stanton. I don't remember. I don't think so. Anyway. Anyway. Um, yeah. So one one other thing that I will say, because I, I think we should get into Grunthilda specifically in a second, but uh, 
before we get away from ways that Banjo Kazooie fucked us up as children, um, sure. this game gave me extremely incorrect ideas about how eggs work relative to birds. <laughs> because Kazooie spends the entire game shooting eggs out of her mouth. Yep. Which is not how that works. Nope. And I don't know, it was, it was a very confusing time. So little James thought that that's how eggs happened? I was under the... It, it was certainly the kind of thing where I saw it and I was like, that seems about right. Eggs come from birds. I, I didn't know more about it than that. I, I figured maybe it, like if they can come out the back, like how hard would it be to come out the front? Like it's all one tube, right? Like I... A very basic understanding of anatomy, right? Fair. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Real fast, before we, before we get into actual, like, Grinhilda, what was everybody's favorite level, either to play or watch? I love the first one. I, I Just that, that first area, I, I don't remember what it's called, naturally, being, I, I enjoy it, so I can't remember what it's called. It's, Mumbo, it's Mumbo's one. Yeah, it, it's, it's like exactly. Mumbo, I think. Might be. Um, but I, and again, like I, I moved through it like pretty, pretty fast when I, cause, uh, for, for this, I, I didn't replay the entire game. Um, but I did kind of go back and I, I messed around, uh, through, through the rare replay re-release, um, to kind of, as, as a reminder, I, I think I got to the same point where I usually quit as a kid, which is to say to the, uh, like the, the submarine level, the, the place is kind of like grungy and dirty and involves like a lot of swimming, um. That's that's where uh, I yeah with the yeah. clanker clanker scabber yeah that's it yeah that's that's where I usually bopped out as a kid and that's that's where I did uh, again this time but I so even though I moved through it pretty fast this time I that was always my favorite place just like run around and play with the game's mechanics uh, I was I was in like the Treasure Trove Cove pretty often just because there were a lot of places you could fly there and I remember that being really fun um, but you know it's it's not the most exciting level it's not the most interesting level but it does feel like the the best place to just like run around and have fun with the systems, which is always the thing that I remember so fondly about this game. Um, I mean, I will say that uh, Clanker's Cavern has my favorite mechanic in games ever, which is just going inside of a giant creature to play part of a level. Yeah, that is cool. But my favorite is probably the desert one, which I also can't remember the name of. Um, but it's mostly because I think that one requires you to do the most as, like, Kazooie, where you have to, like, run as Kazooie a lot. And and, and I just, like, enjoyed that a lot more. Like, I love the noise that Kazooie that. makes when you're when you're running oh, as yeah. Kazooie. That one never got old. I, like, I got yeah. into a pattern of just running that way through levels when I needed to get places. It was like, it's faster anyway, it's and faster. I enjoy oh, yeah. this more. So, like... 100%. Um, I really enjoyed the level where you went through the four seasons. Mm. I do not know oh, yeah. the name of it, but I yeah. thought that was a really, really neat concept that like, you know, the level was relatively small and you, you hit up all the same places each time, but things would change and like stuff that you had affected in one season, like carried over into the next one. Like, you know, like the beaver where he was like, I haven't seen you in months. And it's like, I hope my little sister's okay. But yeah, good to see you again, beaver. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, arguably incredibly ambitious for a game of the time right like we we see that in later games when it like it feels okay for something like that to be a mechanic but here it is in 1998 just like being i awesome. mean 
it, it was one of those those Capcom Zelda games, uh, Oracle of Seasons. Like that's that's the mechanic to the game, and it's just kind of like a not a throwaway, but it's just a level in Banjo Kazooie. Yeah. It. But, yeah, it's. I don't know. This game had some big ideas. Arguably executed a lot of them pretty well. Completely agree. Which yeah, is that's... which is the the big thing. Like it's not like the times where we say like this thing had big ideas but kind of like fell on its face somewhere along the line. Like yeah, that's yeah, true. We've definitely looked at things right where like we can see how this influenced later things when we've gone back into into sort of history for games and books uh, like uh, replay right. Yeah. Like, we're like, oh, yeah, there are a lot of big ideas here. There's a lot of interesting stuff. And you can see how this was foundational in a lot of ways. But it also has all of the, like, it has all of these executional flaws. Banjo Kazooie just doesn't have them. Like, there are flaws, sure. It's not a flawless game. It's not perfect. But in terms of the, like, sort of big new things that it's trying, it pretty effectively nails almost all of them. Yeah, I uh, thank you for pointing that out because I I realize now that it what I was saying absolutely makes it sound like it had big ideas but like didn't get there. You're you're absolutely right. It hundred percent manages to mechanically make those ideas work, um, and I feel like that is one of the cool things is that it does treat them as like, oh yeah, this, this is this neat thing we came up with. You know, no big deal. And you're just kicking something around over lunch. And it's like oh, like small level four seasons. You know, revisiting stuff and different things. Ah, you know, no no big deal. Uh, whatever. You know, have you seen you know this next crazy thing that we came up with? But yeah, just that sheer volume of just different stuff that they packed in. It was it was pretty cool. So, all so. that being all that being said, let us talk about the actual witch. I don't know. Yeah. Is there is there another thing we want to talk about before we get to Gruntilda? It's just one one more. In the final cutscene, there's a woman. There's a human woman oh, in like a, yes, a, yeah. the tiniest bikini I've ever seen on a cartoon woman from the nineties. Right, like tiny enough that you can't tell what is skin and what is bikini because it's a nineteen ninety eight like N sixty four game. Mm-hmm. Just just walks by. Is that the ending ending or the <laughs> secret ending? Because. So you watched a hundred percent playthrough. I think I that's the secret ending. Okay, there's a secret ending, and there's a human woman, and uh, she is conventionally attractive for a woman of that many polygons, and <laughs> is wearing a very, very tiny bikini. Oh, God. <laughs> conventionally attractive for a woman of that many polygons. I'm just brought back to San Junipero <laughs> because everybody is polygons. I'm pretty sure. That's anyway. that's that's a spectacular turn of phrase. Um, <laughs> I think I just described the the Tomb Raider series. <laughs> but no, like it's it's like the Metroid ending, right? Yeah. Like it, this is where you find out that Banjo was a woman in like a bear suit the entire time, right. and it's just very hot. I mean, they are on like a desert island for some reason. They do appear to just be on a desert island, not even like, it's like on a beach. beach. Yeah. Like, it was, yeah. there was a lot going on. Yeah. And hey, weird. we got those pictures of Banjo-Tooie. Yeah. Anyway, Gruntilda. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk I about was, I was joking, but I am glad that we got that moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Gruntilda is, I, we can talk about this more in the topic episode, but Gruntilda was kind of our sort of like Halloween witch, you know, like the, yeah. almost kind of like that that modern sense of. It's sort of like that casual modern, I guess I should say, like notion of a witch. Um, so I, I don't know, like where where are we at with with her as a character? 
like as as much as anyone is a character in this game. Like it, there's a lot of character, but there's not a lot of character. Like I don't know. She was definitely set up to be like, uh, you know, not a terribly complex or deep film. Like she she was a caricature yeah, for all she, intents yeah. and purposes. She's How, not really meant to be like intimidating either, right? Or, right. She's not supposed to really be scary, like anything like that. However, through the course of the game. I ended up having a lot of sympathy for Gritilda. Um, mostly because of how much her sister fucking rags on her. Like, and talked about, like, how terrible, like, her time in witch school was. Because, like, like in a really, like, mean way. Like, Oh, yeah, like, her sister is, you know, the popular kid. It in, was very, like, and, like, very, like, Glinda Alphabet. But, oh, yeah. but instead of being roommates, they were sisters. And instead of finding out that they actually are friends, it was she was just horrible to her forever. <laughs> oh yeah. The you know, the hit musical Wicked based on the novelization of Banjo Kazooie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, it's it's very much sort of that that storytelling trope of like the outcast kid, um, who nobody really likes or has has really any kind of sympathy for, uh, just kind of goes on to be turned into a villain by the people that it's it's the whole idea that like people create their own villains right like that's effectively what they're like i yeah i i certainly don't think that rare set out to make Hilda sympathetic um (laughs) but i think that being the way that storytelling has gone in the past 20 years uh in retrospect she is an extremely sympathetic character yeah, I mean, I will say, it definitely feels like the kind of game where it's just like, uh, <laughs> look at how, like, bad Gruntilda is at everything all the time. And, like, she's so gross, she eats, like, cockroaches and cream or right. for dessert. Like, it was definitely set up to be, like, just a series of gags about, like, gross stuff that kids would like. Yeah, um, and now as 20-somethings, having played a bunch of games and experienced all these stories and all of this... And the shifting trend of, like, viewing stories from, like, the villain's perspective or being sympathetic towards villains to make their final, like, turn to evil, like, a, a bigger, like, deal. Now it's like, well, shit, like, Grinhilda's just been shit on her entire life. And, like, sure, she, like, some of her tastes are a little out there, but nobody needs to, like, beat her down for it 24-7. I mean, honestly. Especially not her sister. Like, that's so shitty. And, like, Grinhilda's, like... <laughs> Sorry. Grinhilda's like, she's chasing this ideal that, like, I don't think she even wants. She just thinks she's supposed to want. Like, the idea of being, like, skinny and beautiful. Like, she she seems like she's pretty happy, like, just reveling in, like, gross stuff and, like, being kind of icky and all that. Like, it seems like that's where she's comfortable. But, like, she has this idea that she wants to be thin and pretty and that's how she's going to succeed. Which she just gets from Dingpot. Yeah. She's like, I'm the prettiest person in the land, right? Dingpot's like, yeah, you totally are. Oh, wait, there's this nine-year-old girl who's prettier than you, which we're not going to talk about. But So is she like nine in bear years or what? Like, I, <laughs> how, does, how does that work? That's She's a good clearly point. a child. That's, yeah. that's the takeaway. Really, that's the yeah. Um And so Dingpot's like, oh, wait, no, you were the prettiest, but this this girl is actually, she's the prettiest, and so you're not the prettiest anymore. And Gruntilda is like, I can't even get positive feedback from you. And just my like, own enchanted cauldron. <laughs> and so here we are. I formed yeah. a lot of opinions about Gretelda that I didn't realize I formed. <laughs> I feel like that's kind of the magic of Banjo Kazooie, right? Like it again, it's that whole thing. Like it there's a surprising amount of character to these caricatures. Yeah. It 
what was really interesting about Grantilda to me is that she's um, she's very Shakespearean. Like they they make her rhyme constantly. You know, she's she's gross and unwanted and she's always using cauldrons. Like I can only, like I mean they're they're weak parallels outside of the rhyming, but they like I could not not think of the witches in Macbeth like constantly. Or Hamlet? No, Macbeth. Macbeth. Okay, good. I was right. Fun fact, uh unclear whether they were written by Shakespeare. <laughs> That's the witches true. specifically? Yep. Interesting. I thought you were gonna say that maybe Badger Kazooie had been written by Shakespeare and like we had un- rare had like uncovered it. I thought that's where that was going. That's where well, the name came from. It's rare uncovered writings of Shakespeare notes. Yeah. Hard to fit in a Right, so they just figured. Uh in the sequel, when her like two other witch buddies show up, it, they're they're pulling even more from that imagery, I think. Ah, well yeah, if there's three of them that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then but also they've got like a drill machine, which I think is also Shakespearean in influence it that that classic play the drill machine right uh, but well I'm glad Brinhilda has friends <laughs> I think that's my takeaway yeah. from saying you saying that <laughs> yeah no yeah they're tight um you feel better I mean no because I think the the storytelling for the character is much stronger as when she's like this loner character sure and I think like giving her friends is is not quite understanding the character that they set up in the first game and just making it like bigger for a sequel without realizing how they were ruining the characterization to begin with. However, reminder: this conversation <laughs> is about Banjo Kazooie. <laughs> I know. I have died. I'm dead. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's wrap things up. Okay. <laughs> I, I think everything else that we have to say about Grendelda uh, should come up in the in the, the witches episode. episode. Yeah, yeah, so we can pull so we can pull in all of these other witches. We can pull in her friends from from Banjo Tui, who for the for the record, I, I think are like, you know, kinda of, they're they want what's best for her, but they're also kind of enablers, you know. Um and it's it's an iffy crowd, but so we can we can get into this we can get into this more later. Uh for the time being, uh last words on Banjo Kazooie? Uh, it's a hallmark of the time. It's probably the best example of the, the 3D platformer, the 3D mascot platformer that there is, and it's still incredibly valuable and fun 20 years later. Kazooie's really sassy. Oh yeah, she's sassy as fuck. Yeah, we didn't talk about Kazooie at all. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Sassy Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Read Watch Play. If you want to help us out, the best thing you can do is tell a friend about the show. You can also rate and review the podcast on iTunes. If you want to find us on social media, you can follow us at RWP Podcast on Twitter and like us at facebook.com slash RWP Podcast. Which is weird. There are a few game developers that I'm invested enough in. We should... Definitely this should ever I don't fucking know. Uh, Try again.